Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We are going to continue this morning our series called Seven. Seven, everyone say seven. Seven. And uh, basically this series is about developing an unwavering faith in uncertain times or uncircum- uh, uncertain circumstances. Let's be honest, 2020 has thrown a lot at us. And as Kath mentioned, we're coming into the tail end of 2020. And if you're anything like me, I'm sure some of you are really keen to see the back end of 2020. But I believe that we need to finish strong. Yeah. Turn to the person next to you and say, finish strong. We need to finish strong. So this series is about... Uh, an unwavering faith in uncertain times. And it's a series about the seven letters that are found written in the book of Revelation to the seven churches. And we're going to be looking at each letter in relationship to the subject of faith. Say faith with me. And so we're going to look at what uh, was written some 2,000 years ago, what was on Jesus' heart 2,000 years ago when He was writing to those churches, but also... And just as importantly, what it means for us today. Last week, we looked at the first letter, which was the letter to the church in Ephesus. And the emphasis there was about a loving faith. And if you missed the message, please feel free to go online and watch it again. It was a great message by all reports. And we had a a beautiful little moment last week uh, with the help of a little baby. And so uh, that's online. And if you don't know what I mean, have a look at that. I actually grabbed that little snippet and put it on my Instagram and Facebook page because I just thought God is so incredibly wonderful in the way in which He works. I mean, the timing. I mean, I've got to believe that that little baby is going to grow up to be a comedian because that timing was just perfect. It's one thing to be funny, but being a comedian is about, all about timing. And that young baby has incredible, impeccable timing. So that was week one, had a lot of fun sharing that. But today we're going to be looking at the, church, uh, the letter to the church in Smyrna. Say Smyrna. Smyrna. So let's read. And it's found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. It says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. These are strong words. But do not be afraid about what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. I mean, these are are strong words. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. All of these letters have something in common. It's about overcoming. It's about being victorious. And the key to overcoming and the key to being victorious is having an ear to what the Spirit of God is saying. It's not about what you are saying. It's not about what others are saying. It's not about what you're hearing. It's about what the Spirit of God is saying and what you're hearing about what the Spirit of God is saying if you want to be victorious and if you want to overcome. 
That's what this series is about. Us having an unwavering faith that we might be victorious and that we might overcome. Say overcome with me. I didn't add the with me, but that's good. Fantastic. So a little bit of backstory. Smyrna is located in present day Turkey and it's about 56 kilometres north of the church we looked at last week in Ephesus. The population at that time was over 100,000 people when John wrote this letter. And it was a city known for many things, but a couple in particular. One, it was known for its production of myrrh. And myrrh was a plant that was crushed. And when crushed, it gave off a beautiful fragrance. So the city of Smyrna smelt like Old Spice. It was known for its deodorant. It was known for its aftershave. So when you went to, to Smyrna, you ah, smells beautiful. Yeah, Old Spice. Not that Old Spice is beautiful, but anyway, there we go. It's an old man scent. But anyway... The second thing that it's known for is its worship of the god Dionysus. And this god, get this, uh, was known for wine, was known for pleasure, was known for festivity, and was also known for wild frenzy. I mean, if you're going to choose your gods, it's probably not a bad god to choose. I mean, wine, pleasure, and wild frenzy. And it's into this context that Jesus writes this letter. In other words, God is not in heaven shocking. What's going on? God writes this letter in order for the believers, the early church to hold its line. In light of all the wine, in light of all the frenzy, in light of all the festivals that are taking place. I mean, wine and festivals. It sounds like Adelaide 2020. I mean, seriously. And and Jesus is telling His church to hold their line. And in order for us to hold our line, we're going to be tested. And so today's message is about a tested faith. Everyone says, I have faith. Well, it needs to be a loving faith. And it needs to be a tested faith. A tested faith. Say tested faith. Fantastic. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but every summer, I love going to the cricket. Who here loves cricket? A handful of you. (laughs) I get that because, you know, cricket is very boring. And if you hate cricket, I fully understand. I get why people hate cricket, but I love it. I don't know why, but I love it. I love cricket. I don't like cricket. I love it. I mean, I do. And and every year I will go to the Adelaide Oval and I will support our beloved Australian cricket team. And I'll spend the day just watching the ball will go through to the keeper, through to the keeper, through to the keeper, through to the keeper, through to the keeper. And every now and then, oh, it's amazing. They hit the ball. I get it. You hate it. I get it. I get it. It's boring, but I love it. I just love it. And uh, it's amazing uh, being at the Adelaide Oval. And I love the Adelaide Oval for a few reasons. One is because it's the most beautiful oval in the world. It is just a beautiful oval. I don't know if you appreciate that. Or not, but Adelaide Oval is magnificent in so many ways. The other thing I love about Adelaide Oval is I'm part of the home team. Yeah. It's always good being at the cricket because the majority of people there are going for the Aussies. But a few years ago, 
I had the opportunity to go and watch Australia play in South Africa. I was in South Africa and Australia were playing and the host that I was staying with said, would you like to go to a cricket match? I said, I love the cricket. No, you know, I don't like cricket. I love cricket. Let's go to the cricket. But I've got to be honest with you. Cricket in South Africa is different. <laughs> it felt different. I had my little Aussie hat on. I, I, I go for it, I get involved, I'm there, I'm like, and I, I'm a supporter, supporter. And I have my little shirt on, I'm flying the Australian flag. And I've got to be honest with you, the opposition I received, I was not prepared for. <laughs> Those South Africans, and I know there are some here this morning, but you can be very mean. You can be quite cruel, particularly at a sporting event. I mean, South Africans are as passionate about their sport as Australians are about our sport. And so there I was watching the same team that I love, watching the same game I love, but gee, it felt different. And do you know why it felt different? Because I was supporting the away team. I was part of the away crowd. I was in the minority. I wasn't in the majority. I was getting persecuted, I was getting booed, I was getting jeered, I was getting mocked. Why? Because I was part of the away crowd. I was part of the away team. Which is different when you're in the beloved Adelaide Oval. And I learned this, it's a lot easier to be a supporter at Adelaide Oval than it is in South Africa. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? This letter that is written to the church in Smyrna is the letter that's written to the away team. You see, while we are here on earth, we are aliens. We are strangers. We are the away team. We are not the home team. This is not our home here on earth. Our home is in heaven. And we have been put here on planet earth for a very short period of time in order to hold our line and make a difference on this earth as a stranger, as an alien, as an away team member. The home game is a lot easier than the away game. And if we're gonna hold our line, I gotta be honest with you, when I was in South Africa, I did feel like taking my hat off a time, I did. And I did feel like putting a jumper on and just zipping it up. But what kind of supporter would I be if I did that? But how many of us as Christians do that? We take off our Christian hat. We, we, put on our, we put on our coat and just zip it up and, and we, we don't give off any vibe that we are Christians because man, it's just too hard at work. They tease me and they mock me. And this is what the church in Smyrna was experiencing. And this is why this letter was written. Because in order for us to hold our line as the away team, we're gonna be tested. And that's what I wanna look at this morning, a tested faith. You see, a tested faith, I've highlighted three things this morning that I wanna look at and what we can learn from this beautiful, wonderful church in Smyrna. A tested church, number one, if you're taking notes, stands firm in persecution. It stands firm in persecution. The letter says, I know about your afflictions. I know about your poverty. I know about the accusations. So you need to know something. This persecution that they were experiencing and the accusation that they were experiencing isn't the same 
as the persecution or accusation that you and I go on about for the most part. I mean, I'm not talking about a persecution when you come late to church and someone has taken your blessed chair. I'm not talking about that. And we go, oh, I'm so persecuted. Where's God? <laughs> I'm not talking about that as persecution. I'm not talking about when you say hi to someone, they don't hear you and they don't see you and they don't respond to you. And you say, where's God that they didn't even say hello back? I'm not talking about the kind of persecution that we go on about. I'm talking about something deeper. I'm talking about something far more real. And I'm here today to inspire us, but also to challenge us. I wanna inspire us through a challenge today, through what this beautiful church went through and what we can learn from them, that we might stand firm when persecuted. None of us should be surprised when persecution comes because the Bible tells us many, many times that persecution will come. It doesn't say if, it says when. And so we need to be prepared and readied and inspired when it comes. You see, the early church, and particularly this church in Smyrna, suffered and they were accused of many, many things. And as a result, they suffered greatly. You know, when they partook in communion, like we do on a regular basis, when they partook in communion, they were actually accused of cannibalism. They didn't understand the message. They didn't understand the message to drink the blood of Jesus and to eat His flesh. And so rumours spread that these Christians are cannibals. Now, I know about you. I know not everyone sees eye to eye with us in all of our practices, but I've never been accused of being a cannibal and nor of you. And yet this was a regular occurrence. You're a Christian, now. Oh, you must be into cannibalism. I mean, this is so unfair. It's so unkind and it's so unfounded, but it's just what they love to do. It's what the devil loves to do. He loves to take a truth and twist it. He masquerades as an angel of light and he twists the truth. If he can't stop the truth, he's gonna twist it. And that's what he did in this church some 2000 years ago. They used to have love feasts or agape feasts. And all it was is people getting together and loving on one another. They were giving to the poor. They were caring for one another. But an accusation was that they are into orgies. These love fests were orgies and it was nothing further from the truth. But they had to live with the stigma of the fact that every time they had a love feast or an agape feast where they got together and blessed and cared for people of their community, they were accused of having orgies. They were accused of being anti-family. You know, because of the decision to follow Christ, it caused division in some families. Not every family member saw eye to eye. Not every family member agreed that Jesus Christ was Lord. Not every family member was prepared to pay the price. And so there was some division in some of the families, just like Jesus said there would be. He said there will be division in some of the families because if you make a decision to follow Christ and one of your family members doesn't, there will be division. And as a result of this, they were accused of being anti-family. Oh, those Christians, they're anti-family. They're not for family. We're for family. You're not. How many of you have been accused of that? Maybe some of you have, and and maybe some of you this morning can identify with some of the things that this early church went through. And there was this beautiful letter written to help them hold their line. Do you know the early church in Smyrna were accused of being atheists? Do you know why? Because they didn't embrace all the other gods. 
They only gave their allegiance to one God, the true God. Jesus Christ is Lord and He alone is Lord. And as a result, because they didn't embrace this plethora of gods, they were labelled atheists, God-haters. But they didn't believe in God at all. I know you, but I've never been accused of that. And also, they were accused of being enemies to Rome. You see, to be a Roman citizen, you had to give your allegiance to Caesar. You had to acknowledge that he was Lord. And these early Christians, this early church would not bow the knee. They would not declare that Caesar is Lord. They said, we have but one Lord and his name is Jesus. And they would not and they refused to bow the knee. And the result of this unfounded accusation led to much suffering and much poverty. Do you know, as a result of being a Christian, people would not employ you. And do you know what? If you didn't work, you didn't eat. And so the, much of the poverty that the Christians are experiencing is because people would not employ them. If, if we were not employed because we were a Christian, we could go to certain people. People could not employ us on the grounds that we are Christian. That wouldn't happen to us in our generation. Not here in dear old Adelaide. We have lots to be thankful for, church. But they experienced excruciating poverty. Went without food. Why? Because they didn't have any money. Why? Because people just wouldn't employ them. Do you know here in this nation, if you don't work, you get paid. We have lots to be thankful for. Let's keep our heads up. Let's keep our faith strong. And not only did they experience poverty, but many were put in prison. And many lost their lives. You know, there was a pastor many, many years ago. And his name was Polycarp. And I'd encourage you to study this man. Just Google Polycarp and his name will come up. He was born in 69 AD. And it's been said that he was personally discipled by the Apostle John. And he was ordained as Bishop of Smyrna, and some say by uh, some of the original apostles. And so here's this young pastor, ordained as the pastor of this church in Smyrna, as the second generation of leaders, the second generation of the church was just getting traction. And he got the dubious task of being the leader of this church at this time. And at the age of 86 years of age, he was arrested. He was not only arrested, but because of his refusal to declare that Caesar is Lord, he was sentenced to death. And the arresting officers had a soft spot for Polycarp. And they begged with him and pleaded with him many times, come on, just acknowledge Caesar. What harm can it do? Just acknowledge Caesar as Lord. He said, I I, I cannot do that. And he spent a few days in prison and and when he was being walked to his place of execution, they were like, please, just acknowledge. They they, they liked this man. They recognised he'd done no wrong, but they had to live by the law of that land. And the law said, if you did not acknowledge Caesar, then you would be put to death. And, and, And Polycarp refused. In actual fact, just before the soldiers came to arrest him, 
His family and friends tried to hide him and, 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 and make him flee. And he says, no, let God's will be done. He was arrested and he was about to be burnt alive. And when being placed on all the prior and the stake in the ground, the soldiers went to nail his hands to the stake. And he said to the soldiers this, and it's a beautiful thing. He said, leave me as I am, for he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the prior unmoved without the security you desire from these nails. Have we really experienced persecution, church? Have we really experienced? Those watching Polycarp burn to death, it was recorded that it wasn't like watching the burning of flesh. It was like watching the breaking of bread. And news about Polycarp went everywhere. And many, many people came to faith. Many Gnostics turned to faith because of this man's refusal to give in and to give up in spite of severe persecution. We're not talking someone took your seat at church. We're not talking someone didn't say hello to you. And this is the tone of the letter. Come on church, don't give up. And I don't want to be flippant because I know some of you really are suffering and you really are doing it tough. And to you I say, come on. In the same vein, in the same spirit that was written in this letter some 2,000 years ago, don't you give up. Don't you give in. But hold your line. Let's stand firm in persecution. Secondly, let's speak a positive profession. Let's speak a positive profession. It says, I know your poverty, yet you are rich. Talk about a paradox. You see, a profession is a declaration, a bold declaration of what we believe. And sometimes you don't really know what you believe until you're tested. And they kept a positive profession even in the midst of their trial. You see, Smyrna was one of only two churches in the seven churches in Revelation that were actually not corrected for anything, but only encouraged for their incredible, incredible testimony. Isn't that amazing thing? No, no correction, no adjustment, just well done. Keep your head up. Don't give up. Don't give in. And they didn't allow their circumstances or their situation to change their profession. Their profession was, we might look poor, but I want to tell you something, we are rich. We're not poor, we are rich. And that's an incredibly appealing notion when you can be suffering as much as they were and declare a positive thing. It puts a spin on when we think we've got nothing, you go to your clothes, you know, I've got nothing to wear and you've got clothes galore. I, I think if some of these early saints listened to some of our conversations, oh my goodness me, would we really have a leg to stand on? You see, words, church, are powerful. I've said this many times before because it's as true now as it ever has been and ever will be. Words are powerful. 
God created this world with words. He said, let there be and there was. Everything we see today is because of the spoken word of God. And just as God created the world with words, we create our world with words. What we say is so important. We create our world with our words. In other words, our words reflect our faith. If you're always whinging, if you're always complaining, that reflects where your faith is. If you're positive and upbeat and believe for a better day, that reflects where your faith is. Some people say, are you saying I'm not a Christian? It doesn't matter what I say. It's what you're saying. It's what you're saying that matters. What we say reflects what we believe. You know, we've buried many people that we've prayed for and believed for when it comes to healing. But I wanna tell you, my faith for healing has not waned. We're gonna continue to believe for and continue to pray for people who need healing because in Jesus Christ, there is that opportunity and we're gonna hold on to that to the day we go to be with Him, amen? See, our words are a matter of life and death. What you say about what is happening is more important than what is actually happening. I'll say that again. What you say about what is happening is actually more important than what is happening. You know, in Romans 4, we read about the hero of our faith, the father of our faith, Abraham. And it says that Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. But he didn't focus on that. It was true, but he didn't focus on it. He faced the fact, and I believe true faith can face the facts. It's not about us denying the facts. It's about us facing them. True faith can stand in the midst of facts and not be hindered or not waver as a result. Are you with me this morning? And it goes on to say that he did not waver through unbelief concerning the promises of God because he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do that which he had promised. And as a result, he received that which God had promised for him. Isn't that an amazing thing? His profession never changed. This church in Smyrna, their profession never changed. Something I heard as a teenager shaped my world. And it's this, the facts are, but the truth is. The facts are, but the truth is. The fact is I'm wearing a green shirt, but the truth is I don't always wear a green shirt. It's a fact. Right now, I am wearing a green shirt. Some of you might beg to differ. You're always in green. No, I don't always wear a green shirt, but it is a fact that I'm wearing it now. Facts change, but the truth remains the same. The facts are, but the truth is. The fact is that Abraham's body was as good as dead. But the truth is, God can do something beyond what I'm presently facing. And so he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, but he did not waver through unbelief concerning the promises of God, for he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do that which he had promised. Amen. Martin Luther said it this way, feelings come and feelings go, but the Word of God remains the same and nothing else is worth believing. Do you believe that this morning? Because what you say about the Word of God is more important than what the Word of God says. We have to tap into the Word of God and what it says. We grew up with this age old, age old adage, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. 
Come on, church, let's not wane through unbelief and let's not change our profession. Which brings me to my third point, and it's this. It sees faith, attested faith, sorry, sees beyond the present. It sees beyond the present. It says, do not be afraid. If you've ever been fearful in 2020, that's okay. But the word of the Lord to you is, do not be afraid. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life. You see, they were able to overcome their fear. This beautiful church were able to overcome their fear because of a promise. They held on to the promise. They saw beyond the present reality and saw into a future reality, a greater reality. They were comforted by this promise. I didn't say comfortable, I said comforted. The Bible nowhere says that God will make you comfortable. It does say He will comfort you. And He comforted this early, suffering, persecuted church with the truth of this promise that though you suffer and though you die, yet shall you live. In other words, what they were going through didn't change where they were going to. What they were going through didn't change where they were going to. As I started saying earlier, heaven is our home. We are the away team here on earth. Let us never forget that. We are the aliens. We are the strangers. And that's why I believe eternity is such an important narrative of the Bible. Do you know the Apostle Paul mentions, mentions communion twice? Just twice. And if you miss a communion, people are all up in arms. But he only mentioned it twice. He mentioned baptism 13 times. But he mentions Christ's return over 50 times. It's such a pivotal part of the Christian faith that though we die, yet shall we live. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, don't take your eyes off eternity. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says it this way. And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen to Christians who have died so that you will not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. And he finishes in verse 18 and says, so comfort and encourage each other with these words. I want you to leave this place today and comfort and encourage one another with these words. That though we die, yet shall we live. That's what made the early church so powerful. They weren't afraid of death. They weren't afraid of... What do you do with someone who's not afraid of dying? That's what made the early church so powerful and so difficult. They just didn't know what to do with them because they just weren't afraid of dying. And I believe we can learn a lot from the early church. Amen. Obviously, the early church, we're just following the example set by our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ Himself. Be encouraged with the promises of God. And can I just say this as a band come up? Don't confuse the promises of God with His provision. I think there's some confusion in the body of Christ as to what is a promise and what is a provision. You know, when it comes to healing, it is not a promise that you will be healed. It is a provision that is made available through Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's why we pray. And that's why we continue to pray for people to be healed. But if it was a promise, everyone we pray for would be, would, uh, be healed. 
But the reality is that is not the case. Not everyone we pray for is healed. Let's not confuse the provision of God with the promise of God. But here's the beautiful thing. When you include eternity in the equation, all of His promises come to pass. All of His promises come to pass. The Bible tells us that there is coming a day where there'll be no weeping, there'll be no tears, there'll be no sadness, there'll be no pain, there'll be no suffering, there'll be no poverty, there'll be no shame. All those things we experience sometimes on a daily basis here on earth. But in heaven, all of those things will be wiped away. And so if you include eternity in the mix, God holds true to His promises and you will be healed. Amen. That's not to say we don't have faith for healing here on earth. And that's why we continue to pray. But if we don't allow room for provision versus promise, what happens when someone doesn't heal, we blame them for their lack of faith. And if that's ever happened to you, I want to take that off you right now. I want to take that off you right now. The early church suffered and died horrible deaths. And if it was a part of the promise that they'd be healed and raised up and released, God is a liar. But He's not a liar because when you add eternity to the mix, He holds true to His promises. C.S. Lewis says it this way, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Do you know why... When you desire something and you get it and there's still another desire, it's because we weren't made for this world. And if you try and replace every desire with something other than God, you'll always have this yearning desire because there's a God-shaped hole inside of each and every one of us that can only be filled by God Himself. And this early church in Smyrna knew that to be true and they refused to water down or weaken the testimony of their profession because they wanted to see people have this desire and this hole in their heart filled. And as a result, because of their ability to stand in great persecution, many, many people came to faith. We have an incredible opportunity in the last part of this year to invite family and friends This bloke event that we are putting on is not just for our men of our church just to get together and have a drink and and have a burger and watch the football. This is an opportunity for an unsaved, far from God, family and friends, blokey mates who don't wanna come to church because in their thinking, church is full of people. It's just a place for little old ladies of both sexes. That's what men think. They think the women are women and the men are women. That's what a lot of our blokey mates think. And we have an opportunity, church, to step out in faith. And we might get ridiculed, we might get mocked, we might be misunderstood, but we might just get some of our family and friends engaged in a way that they've never been engaged before. And I say that that is worth it. We have Christmas just around the corner. Start thinking about who you can invite. Start thinking about who you can have a conversation with. Let's not live this life for ourselves alone, but let's live it with others in mind. What an incredible opportunity we have with all the chaos and all the carnage and all the craziness that is going on in the world today to reach out to our family and friends. Let's not miss this incredible, beautiful, wonderful 
opportunity. Pastor Polycarp was known by everyone. And here I am some 2,000 years later still talking about him and now he's known to you. And I promise you this, for the last 2,000 years, he has no regrets. No regrets. Come on, let's not live with regret. Let's live with hope. Will you stand with me this morning, church? I said I was about to bring a challenge. I was challenged in preparing this message. You can't study what I've studied. And no, whenever I preach, most of what I prepare, I don't get to share. So I, 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 have, I have been through the ringer this week just in preparing this message. But I have come out encouraged. I've come out encouraged because of this challenge and I trust that you're encouraged because of this challenge. This is an opportunity not to beat up on ourselves. This is not an opportunity to point the finger. This is an opportunity for us to fire up. And let's make 2020 an incredible year. Three months. I heard just this week, it's 11 weeks till Christmas. We have 11 weeks to do a lot of damage to the kingdom of darkness and a lot of good for the kingdom of of light. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank You that You are our ultimate example of what it is to stand in the midst of persecution. And for every precious brother and sister in this place who are doing it tough, who are doing it hard, I pray that they would not give up, they would not give in, but they would stand firm and hold their line. Holy Spirit, won't You come And just as you encourage the early church, so you would encourage us today. I pray for eyes to see opportunity in the lead up to Christmas, in the lead up to the men's event, in the lead up to other things that we're doing toward the end of the year. I pray for insight, wisdom, boldness, power and confidence to be our portion. That we would not waste this incredible opportunity we have here on planet Earth to see Your Kingdom come, Your will be done and see many that are far from God come to Christ in Jesus name thank you for taking the time to listen if you have any questions please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au